Welcome to Make No Bones. I'm Emily Barton Altman. And I'm Toby Altman. Make No Bones is a podcast about poets and poetry. Each episode, we ask a poet to read a poem and talk about it. They tell us how they wrote it and explain how it reflects the broader priorities of their work. This week's episode features Nicole Seeley. I'm Nicole Seeley. Born in St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands, and raised in Apopka, Florida, Nicole Seeley is the author of The Animal After Whom Other Animals Are Named, winner of the 2015 Drinking Gourd Chapbook Prize. Her other honors include an Elizabeth George Foundation grant, the Stanley Kunitz Memorial Prize from the American Poetry Review, Daniel Verugin Award, the Poetry International Prize, as well as fellowships from Canto Mundo, Cave Canem Foundation, and The Poetry Project. Her work has appeared in Best New Poets, Copper Nickel, Plowshares, Third Coast, and elsewhere. Nicole holds an MLA in Africana Studies from the University of South Florida and an MFA in Creative Writing from New York University. She is the Programs Director at Cave Canem Foundation. We sat down to discuss a poem from her chapbook, and over the course of the conversation, another poem came up. So you're in luck. You get to hear two poems from Nicole this episode. We started off our conversation talking about the way Nicole uses form in her work. Well, for me, form parameters set helps me write and helps me be clear about what I want to write. Um, With the sonnet series that I'm working on, um, that hate that phrase, give voice to the voiceless, but um, it's a per- they're persona poems in the voice of different personalities from Paris is Burning, the seminal documentary about uh, uh, drag queens in Harlem, 1980s Harlem. Um, for me, that, that enabled me to um, say things in a way that was very succinct um, because I, I mean, these personalities, they're so big and I could write a poem for days. So I just wanted to be clear about what I was writing. And I think the sonnet shape and the sonnet form, um, was the best way to say those things and to also, um, give the kind of gravity to these personalities that I think they deserve. The sonnet form is just so white male you know, from back in the day. Um, so that I'm even writing it is a type of, um, it's kind of revolutionary. Not, you know, I'm not trying to brand myself um, an activist or, you know, uh, but I do feel like using, I think there's a saying, I'm, I'm going to get it wrong, but using the slave master's tools to uh, kind of uh, deconstruct his house and I think that's what I, I'm trying to do with some of these forms and using them in these poems in this way um, so yeah I think the history of it being uh, white and male I'm kind of um, you know turning that on its head by just the very act of writing in the form so I'll introduce you to Venus Extravaganza who was an Italian-American transgender performer featured in Paris is Burning. And she said something. Well, okay, so let me just read you the poem. Legendary, then a quote. I'd like to be a spoiled rich white girl, Venus extravaganza. I want to be married in church in white, nothing borrowed or blue, 
I want a white house in peak skill far from the city. White picket fence fencing in my lily white lilies. Oh, were I whiter than white. A couple kids, one girl, one boy, both white, birthright, all the amenities of white. Golf courses, guest houses, garage with white washer dryer set. Whatever else white affords, I want in multiples of white. Two of nothing is something if they're white. Never mind another neutral. Off white won't do. I want to be white as the unsparing light at tunnel's end. So what's gorgeous and complicated about Venus extravaganza is that she was white, you know, but she's, she knows, she's speaking to the politics of white privilege. And this is a white transgender person talking about this. And that's so, that's so beautiful and so complicated because she's already white, you know, but she's transitioning into being a woman and she has all these other things happening. So it's, it's just nice to see um, that, that we're not flukes, you know, we're all the same and we all have hangups and we all want to want things that we can't have or want things that we already have, but want more of it, you know? So it's just so complex and crazy in a great way and a reflection of of me because when you talk about to me when I when I treat someone in a poem I'm talking about myself as well so it's just yes we're all so complicated people's stories are just so weird and awesome and beautiful and that's what I was mostly concerned about and I don't think I knew that I could treat not only my stories but other people's stories in poetry I thought it was like you know trees and flowers and fauna Um, and so when I realized that I could you know do what I've been wanting to do talk about other people bring other people to the forefront while bringing myself there as well there there was a shift there was a shift in what I needed to write and then I took a workshop a regional workshop at Cave Canem and it was just so it, it changed my life being at that workshop like it gave me a permission to be a poet that I didn't I, I never felt that I had and then after that I got accepted to the annual retreat, which is a, a bit more um, intense because you write a poem a day for a week. Um, and there I just learned, I just learned so much from like the greats. Yeah, I started writing seriously, I think back in 2005 when Kave Kanam gave me permission like you can, you can do this and you can do it well and you can make a living at this. Doug Kearney says something like, um, like when he writes a poem and he reads it in front of people, most people might like it, but there's that family member in the back that knows you didn't push yourself as hard as you could. So they're like, yeah, what the fuck are you doing? You know you could have ended a different way. Like that poem shouldn't have ended there or you should have... Um, 
yeah, you, it just should have been different, and you know why. You didn't tap into that deeper thing that you should. So I think that's what, yeah, seeing fellows thrive and Kaveh Kanem fellows thrive and seeing what they're doing and knowing that they're not going to let me get away with some bullshit, it really, it fuels me. I feel like um, everything is art, like everything, we can tap into anything's, like the beauty of anything and get something out of it. But I feel like everything in the book was inspired by, you know, things that I've seen, that I've touched. So I think a work is just, by its nature, a reflection of all art and all things. So the collection is just all of my thoughts. You know, I'm, it isn't a, a project book in that I set out to do a certain thing to prove a certain point, you know, or to um, reflect on a certain theme. But this is just, these things in this collection is things that I just think about, you know, and it's sometimes very high and sometimes very clue, you know, like it's, that, but that's people, you know, we have these moments of weight and then the, these moments of levity. And I just wanted, I want my work to reflect that. I'm gonna read the first person who will live to be 150 years old has already been born. And it's a poem from my mother. So the title is Hella Long. Um, the poem itself is just a column. I was working a lot with music and um, association. So it's not a formal form, but I'm sure I set some kind of restrictions because I'm OCD like that and I need these things to kind of help me write. This poem led to another poem called Medical History. And I don't think that I could have written Medical History were it not for the first person, dot, dot, dot. Um, so I just, like this, I use this poem as, a, as an example of what we need to write to get to the other thing that we need to say. Um, I needed to say both things, but again, without this first poem, this second poem, I don't think could have happened. So it's just, a, for me, a great example of how poetry works. Scientists say the average human life gets three months longer every year. By this math, death will be optional, like a tie or dessert or suffering. My mother asks whether I'd want to live forever. I'd get bored, I tell her. But, she says, there's so much to do, meaning she believes there's much she hasn't done. Thirty years ago, she was the age I am now, but unlike me, too industrious to think about birds disappeared by rain. If only we had more time or enough money to be kept on ice until such a time, science could bring us back. Of late, my mother has begun to think life short-lived. I'm too young to convince her otherwise. The one and only occasion I was in the same room as the Mona Lisa. It was encased in glass behind what I imagine were velvet ropes. There's far less between ourselves and oblivion, skin that often defeats its very purpose. Or maybe its purpose isn't protection at all. 
but rather to provide a place similar to a doctor's waiting room in which to sit until our names are called. Hold your questions until the end. Mother, measure my wide open arms. We still have this much time to kill. This episode of Make No Bones was produced and edited by Toby and Emily Altman in Chicago, Illinois. The music for this episode is by Toby Altman. Hey, that's me. To find out more about the podcast, check out our website and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. If you like the show, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. Join us next time for an interview with Mike Lala, who will present a sound piece from his new chapbook, In the Gun Cabinet.